welcome back to Throne of Chaos. We are your hosts, Kelsey and Autumn, and today we are discussing Chapter 7 of Throne of Glass. As always, we do not represent Sarah J. Mass or Bloomsburg Publishing. Our thoughts and opinions are our own. So this chapter begins with them finally arriving in Riftfold. Trumpeters sounded, crimson flags with golden wervens flew above the city, the cobblestone streets were cleared, and Selena was unchained, dressed, and painted, sitting in front of Kale. She frowns as she smells the odor of the city. Beneath the smell of the spices and horses lay a foundation of filth, blood, and spoiled milk. There was a hint of salty waters of the Avery, which brought warships from every ocean in Aurelia. Merchant vessels crammed with goods and slaves and fishing boats with half-rotted, scale-covered flesh that people somehow managed to eat. Everyone paused as the flag bearers trotted ahead and Dorian waved. So I love how extra this moment is. And I think about the comparison of when she saw Galen Ashiver tour through Wendelin. And you can kind of see the love and strength of his kingdom. And then how Ardalyn behaves when Dorian comes back. And then you kind of think about how Aelin returns to Terrison. And she basically has to sneak back into yeah. her own kingdom. This part reminds me of River Street in Savannah. Yes. The cobblestones, the storefronts. I feel like that's how Savannah would be if it was back in time with the ships sailing by, the horses coming through. That's what it reminds me of. Yes. The prince and Kale both wore red capes pinned over their left breast with a brooch of the royal seal. The prince wore a golden crown and she had to admit that he looked rather regal. Young women flocked to them and Dorian winked and grinned. Selena noticed sharp stares from the same women when they saw her. She knew she appeared like a prize lady being brought to the castle, so she smiled at them and tossed her hair and batted her eyes at the prince's back. Kel pinches her, telling her she looks ridiculous and to be quiet and act normally. She says that they look ridiculous and that she should jump from the horse and run. She'd vanish in an instant. He replies, yes, you would vanish with three arrows buried in your spine. Such pleasant talk, she tells them. The red cape, it's Manon. Mm -hmm. Every time. I was recently rereading Queen of Shadows and the kind of interactions you kind of get from Manon and Dorian in that book. I'm like, why are we surprised about how he responded to her? Because he kind of showed us from the beginning that he was a Casanova. man. Yes. Also, my thought is, where in the world did they manage to clean themselves up so they look presentable? They've been on the road in horseback traveling for two weeks. And now they all seem just fresh as a daisy. Dorian's eating maybe up the they, attention. Maybe there's an inn outside of the city. That's the only thing I can think of. I'm thinking they bathed in the dang river and got back on the horse. Because it says she's even He's a prince. He's not bathing in the river. It says she's even painted up. She has makeup on. She looks good. He looks good. He's a prince. So now Maybe he had servants meet them at an inn outside the city. Because, I mean, they had to know he was coming to get this orchestra ready for his arrival. So... I agree with you like if I had to travel in the woods for two weeks like that I would not I don't I would (laughs) I would look like something that got drunk through the mud (laughs) like I don't know that there'd be any saving that one like not even if you dumped me in the river and painted me up (laughs) so Dorian's eating up this attention from the ladies like he always does but honestly I think he actually hates this hates the parading in front of everyone 
at least later on, he might at this time still mm-hmm. kind of eat up this attention. But we know later on, he's just I think he just plays the role well. He yeah. knows how to play his role as the prince well. Right. And hopefully, in a post-Kingdom of Ash world, he actually enjoys riding through his kingdom because he made it a better place. So they enter the shopping district and crowds swell in the street. Selena drools over the window displays of each storefront as they pass. She can see the dresses and tunics and lines of sparkling jewelry and broad-rimmed hats. Above it all, the glass castle loomed so high she had to tilt her head to see the utmost towers. She wonders why they chose such a long and inconvenient route. So I think it's fun to see that as she's riding through town, she's drawn again to the beautiful clothes and the jewelry and all the things. I feel like most other series make their main characters tomboys or aloof to feminine things to help them appear strong. SJM doesn't do that. She does, she has her female characters embrace feminine things, but also shows you how strong they are alongside doing that. And they don't seem to be belittled for their femininity. Right. Between a break in the building, Selena sees the sails of the ships along the Avery. Many are docked along the pier with sailors calling to each other, too busy to notice the royal procession. She hears the crack of a whip and her head snaps to the side. Slaves staggered from a merchant ship. They were a mix of conquered nations, each with hollow, raging faces she had seen many times. Most were prisoners of war, rebels who survived the butchering block. Some had been caught or accused of trying to practice magic, but most were ordinary people in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I think it's so impactful that she went from Selena observing the opulence of Rithold to immediately being drawn to the dark underbelly of the slaves being pulled off the boat. And I think it's important to note that most of the people were just innocent people in the wrong place Mm -hmm. at the wrong time. And also, how can you accuse someone of practicing magic when it's literally not possible? It brings me back to Kale, and he's just immune to these things happening. I feel like he has such a veil over his eyes because he can see this happening all around him, but to him, it's justified. And, well, they shouldn't have been caught. They shouldn't have Mm -hmm. done the wrong thing. Yes, it, it drives me nuts. Now that she noticed there were countless chained slaves working the docks, She wanted to run to them or at least scream that she wasn't a part of this prince's court, that she had no hand in bringing them here, chained and starved and beaten, and that she'd worked and bled with them, with their family and friends. She was not like these monsters that destroyed everything, that she had done something nearly two years ago when she'd freed almost 200 slaves from the pirate lord. Even that, though, wasn't enough. I love that we get another hint of Assassin's Blade Mm -hmm. and that we also get to see she did something in the past that she wasn't complicit to the slavery acts, even when she was an assassin. Yeah, she had fun playing along with this royal possession, pretending to be a part of it, flirting with the guys in the crowd, but she's quickly brought back to reality. She doesn't want them to think she's one of them, and her freeing the slaves is one of my favorite stories from Assassin's Blade. Yes. That whole story, I just love it. And Rolf still hates her guts because of it. (laughs) And And I'm so ready for that scene in Empire of Storms. (laughs) Yes. 
I love the juxtaposition of her the very first time she meets Roth is sitting at his desk right messing with his stuff and then years later is sitting behind his desk messing with his stuff right. and Rowan is there and he just immediately picks up on the bit and plays with it like I love that so she tried when she could to do something about the injustices of the world she doesn't have any power to do this she's not a princess she's not a queen but when she could, she does try to do good. Even though her job, who she was, being an assassin, that's not the most prestigious, highest, most ethical job. But those that are in a position who are on their high horse, Kale, looking at you, mm-hmm. what do you do about anything that's wrong in society? Nothing. Blame the slaves? Exactly. So sooner than she would have liked, they are at the castle gates. A dozen guards wearing red capes and armor of copper and leather line the path. Beyond them, a road sloped, lined with trees of gold and silver and glass lamp posts between the hedges. They pass under a glass arch as the castle rises before them. In an open courtyard, Kel sighs and dismounts. Selena is pulled from the saddle. Glass gleams everywhere. Kel clamps a hand on her shoulder, keeping a firm grip on her cloak, and pulls her to his side. Dorian stares at his home. 600 rooms, military and server quarters, three gardens, a game park, and stables on each side. Who could ever need so much space? He muses. Okay, what's with the glass? Why Why do we love glass so much? Because you got a glass arch go into a glass castle. Really? To me, I think I touch on this later, maybe the next chapter. Mm-hmm. It's metaphorical. Glass is fleeting. Mm-hmm. Stone is harder. It's forever. True. And we see that the it's better stone, foundation. Yeah. The stone castle survives. The glass castle doesn't. And that represents the newness, the new king in there, and the stones, the old people, the people that survive. Yes. But also it makes you think of how did you have the ability to build a glass castle? What do you possess? Word keys. (laughs) So even Dorian, who grew up in the lap of luxury, he's a prince. He's grown up with opulence and excess his whole life. And he thinks the castle's excessive. He doesn't agree with it. And he thinks it's a waste of money. Selena smiles at him weakly, confused by his sudden charm. I don't know how you could sleep at night with only a wall of glass keeping you from death, she tells him. She looks up, but quickly glances back down. Despite not being afraid of heights, the thought of being so high with nothing but glass made her stomach clench. Then you're like me. Thank the gods I gave you a room in the stone castle. I hate for you to be uncomfortable, he states. Selena decides against scowling at him, thinking it wouldn't be very wise, instead looks up at the castle gates. The doors are made of a cloudy red glass, but she could see that the interior is made of stone. It seemed to her that the glass castle had been dropped on top of the original building. She again thinks, what a ridiculous idea, a castle made of glass. I love how this is another similarity between Dorian and Selena and that they both do not want to sleep in the glass castle. Like, mm-hmm. they both refuse. And I like that he also gives her a room outside of the glass castle without even knowing that that's what she would truly want. This is also their first mistake <laughs> in, giving, in giving her a room in that part of the castle. 
because that secret passageway really comes in handy. It was very fortuitous <laughs> that she would get that room. And also, it shows you how much they don't use that part of the castle that they didn't even know that existed. I'm, I'm going to hold off on my comments of where the hidden pathways go until we get there. But yes, I totally agree. Well, said Dorian, you fattened up a bit and your skin has some color now. Welcome to my home, Selena Serathian. The competition begins tomorrow. Captain Westfield will show you to your chambers. She searched for any sign of her competitors, but no one else seemed to be arriving. Dorian nods to the passing courtiers and tells Selena and Cole that he has to meet with his father. Cole. Not Cole. <laughs> Why do I keep calling him Cole? I've never called him Cole. Who else's name could I know? Reese. I kept calling Reese Rice, and now Kale's Cole. <laughs> Dorian nods to the passing courtiers and tells Selena and Kale that he has to meet with his father. He runs his gaze along the body of a pretty lady and winks at her. She hides her face behind a lace fan as she continues her walk. Dorian tells Kale he will see him later tonight, ignores Selena, and then strides up the palace steps, his red cape blowing behind him. As promised, Selena's chambers are in a wing of the stone castle. They are much bigger than she anticipated, consisting of a bedroom with an attached bathing chamber, a dressing room, a small dining room, a music and gaming room. Each room was furnished in gold and crimson. Her bedroom was also decorated with a giant tapestry along one wall, with couches and deep cushioned chairs scattered in a tasteful manner. Her balcony overlooked one of the gardens, which she thought were beautiful, never mind the guard she spotted posted beneath. Okay, one, this room gives me uh, Gryffindor common room vibes. Mm -hmm. um, for another, her bedchamber is bigger and better than my apartment. <laughs> Can I move in? Also, um, let's just note this uh, tapestry and how big of a role it play. will play. Kel leaves her and she shuts herself in the bedroom. During the brief tour he gave her, she counted the exits, one, the windows, 12, and took note of the guards posted outside of her door, windows, and balcony, nine. They were armed with a sword, knife, and crossbow. As she suspected, even though they had been alert when the captain passed by, the crossbow was heavy, and she crept to the window and glanced down. They had already strapped them across their back. She theorized that it would take precious seconds to grab the weapon and load it, during which she could have taken their swords, cut their throats, and vanished into the gardens. From what she knew of the castle grounds, she was on the southern side. If she went through the garden, it would lead to the game park, and then she'd reach a stone wall, then the Avery River. Okay, one, Homie has always got a game plan for killing yeah, everyone and escaping. Prepared. She's extra prepared for that moment, and this is another moment that, like, reminds me of Feyre when she arrives to the spring court, how she is analyzing the situation and seeing every opportunity for escape to plan this moment for when she can get away. Because they both only have survival on their mind. Oh, yes. They are both elite survivalists. She searches through the furniture for anything she can use as a weapon. Of course, there is nothing, not even a fire poker. But she does find a few bone hairpins left in the back of a drawer and some string from a mending basket. Keeping an eye on the door, she fashions it into a makeshift weapon. Not a knife, but a clustered together. The jagged points of the broken pins could do some damage. She tests it on her finger and winces as it pricks her skin. 
Yes, she thinks. It could truly hurt if she jammed it into a guard's neck and disabled him long enough to grab his weapons. Bloodthirsty. Yeah. Bloodthirsty. Selena re-enters the bedroom, tucking her makeshift weapon into the folds of the partial canopy over the bed. She glances around the room, thinking... Something feels off about the dimensions, something with the height of the walls. She dismisses the thought and wonders what else she could take without them noticing. She is sure Kale had the room looked over. When she is certain no one is in her chamber, she strides through the foyer to the gaming room. When she beholds the biller cue, she smiles and thinks Kale isn't nearly as smart as he thought he was. So this really shows like her training as an assassin. Helped her figure out how to create a weapon. From literally anything. Uh, yes. And that the fact that she immediately noticed the dimensions of the room were off speaks wonders. And, like, this castle's been here for thousands of years and no one else noticed. Yeah. Like I said, for me, the stone castle represents the past and is seen as old. And the king and his court mainly used the new shiny glass castle. Mm-hmm. And Dorian also prefers the old stone castle so for me stone equals lasting Mm -hmm. the glass is temporary it's new it's shiny it looks good but it's temporary and also considering where this hidden pathway goes from her bedroom like i just wonder who this room initially belonged to in the past yeah selena decides to leave the billard's equipment alone for now if only to avoid suspicion She's exhausted, so she returns to her bedroom and climbs into the massive bed. It's soft, and she sinks down a few inches, and it's wide enough for three people to sleep in without touching. She falls asleep for an hour when a servant announces the arrival of the tailor sent to outfit her in proper court attire. She spends the next hour being measured and pinned. She hates most of the fabrics that are chosen, but when she tries to recommend the styles that flatter her, she receives a wave of the hand and a curl of the lip. She considers jabbing one of the tailor's pins through his eye. I love her temper and her sass. <laughs> Obviously, she's a princess. She was dressed well as Ardalyn's assassin. She dressed well. She knows what is unique and flattered to her, and this tailor don't want to hear any of it. The servants attend to her, and she is grateful for their gentleness in giving her a bath. She feels almost as dirty as she did when she left Endovier, and most of her wounds had scabbed over or remained as thin white lines though her back had retained most of its damage. Two hours of pampering later, her hair is trimmed, her nails shaped, and calluses on her feet and hands are scraped away, and Selena grins at herself in the mirror. She looks spectacular. Her dress has long white sleeves streaked with orchid purple. The bodice is indigo bordered with thin line of gold, and she wore an ice white cape. Her hair was half up and twisted with a fuchsia ribbon and fell in loose waves. But as she remembers why she's here, her smile fades. The king's champion indeed, she thinks. She looked more like the king's lapdog. Okay, I just realized that she had on a cape. I love the cape. Yeah, this whole outfit is so... Why did they dress her so extra in this moment? I know she loved it. She's supposed to look like one of the court ladies. I mean, yeah, but the cape, a little extra. little extra with the cape. Beautiful. An older female voice murmured. Selena turns her stupid curse corset, pushing into her ribs so hard her breath was sucked from her, which is exactly the reason why she mostly preferred pants and tunics. It was a large woman in a cobalt and peach gown that indicated she was one of the servants of the royal household. She bows, introducing herself as Philippa Spindlehead, her personal servant. Philippa says, and you must be, Selena Sardothian, she says flatly, cutting Philippa off. 
Philippa eyes widen, telling her to keep that to yourself, miss. She is the only one who knows besides the guards. Then what do people think about all my guards, Selena asks. Philippa approaches, adjusting and fluffing the folds of Selena's gown, telling her the other champions have guards outside their rooms as well. Or people just think she's another lady friend of the prince. Another, Selena asks. Philippa just smiles, stating that the prince has a big heart. I love how we're calling it a <laughs> I mean, he, he's got enough love to spread around. <laughs> I feel like we got transported back to the Victorian era. With that statement. Selena isn't surprised, asking if he's a favorite with the women. Philippa tells her it is not her place to speak about his highness, and she should mind her tongue, too. Selena tells her she will do as she pleases, thank you very much, and wonders why they sent her such a soft woman to serve her. She could easily overpower her in a heartbeat. Philippa props a hand on her hip, saying, then you'll find yourself back in those mines, Poppet. Oh, don't scowl, you'll ruin your face when you look like that, reaching up to pinch one of Selena's cheeks. But she pulls away, claiming, Are you mad? I'm an assassin, not some court idiot. Philippa chuckles, telling her, You're still a woman, and as long as you're under my charge, you'll act like one. Or word, help me. Selena blinks, telling her she's awfully bold, and she hopes she doesn't act like that around court ladies. Ah, she says, There was surely a reason why I was assigned to attend you. You understand what my occupation entails, don't you? Selena asks. No disrespect, but this sort of finery is worth far more than seeing my head roll on the ground. Selena's upper lip pulled back from her teeth as the servant turned from the room. Don't make such a face. It squishes that little nose of yours. Selena could only gape at the servant woman and shuffled away. I love her. I <laughs> love her. Like, she, she doesn't care. She's going to put her in her place. She, and Selena doesn't know what to make of it. Um. So speaking of, like, Victorian, Annabelle, and era things, she re- reminds me of Mammy from... And Gone with the Wind. And A-list. Yes. Her and A-list. Yes, her and A-list are very similar. Underrated characters, for sure. She's very much the grandmotherly type of servant who is like, I'm going to take you a you're, you're not going to act like this. My person that I watch over is going to be better right, than this. Also, we get another shout out to Word. They like to say, Word, help me. Uh, Yes. So next we get a Dorian point of view, and most of this section is straight dialogue between him and the king, so it's quoted directly from the book. Dorian stares at his father, waiting for him to speak. Seated on his throne, the king watched him back. He sometimes forgot how little he looked like his father. His younger brother, Holland, took after the king, with his broad frame and round, sharp-eyed face. Dorian was tall, toned, and elegant. He bore no resemblance to him, especially his sapphire eyes. Not even from his mother. No one knew where they came from. We later see on that he has his blue eyes are the exact same color as Gavin's when we see his ghost appear to him. Also, we assume the king has black hair as well because we know that Holland has ebony curls. Yes. And their mother has auburn hair and green eyes. So, so, so really, where did Dorian get his looks from? Right. If he doesn't look we, like anyone in the family. Yeah, I think he just maybe got his hair color from his dad, but that's about it. That's I want to know how similar stuff. he looks to Gavin. Yeah, well, we know the hair color is not the same. Doesn't Gavin have but like hair? The body his build, build. Yeah, she has arrived. The king asks, his voice hard edged with the clash of shields and the scream of arrows. As far as greetings went, that was probably the kindest one he'd get. Dorian tells him as calmly as he can that she shouldn't pose any threat or problem while she's here. Picking Sardothian has been a gamble, a bet against his father's tolerance. 
He was about to see if it was worth it. The king tells Dorian that he thinks like every fool she has murdered. She owes allegiance to no one but herself. She won't balk at putting a knife through his heart. Dorian's doing as much as he can mm-hmm. to try to rebel against his father yes. without outright doing so. Even though he has faith in Selena and that she can win the competition, he mainly just chose her because it would piss his father off the most yes. that he chose her. And also our editions of the book have the bonus story and it yeah. shows that Dorian didn't want to be involved in this competition. He thought it was ridiculous. As but well. knew that he would be punished if he didn't. So he had to pick someone that he knew would help him we might, rebel against his father. We might go into detail in that bonus chapter yeah. if you guys want to hear it. So Dorian replies, which is why she'll be fully capable of winning this competition of yours. Come to think of it, the whole competition might be unnecessary. You say that because you're afraid of losing some good coin, the king replies. If only his father knew that he hadn't just ventured to find his champion to win gold, but also to get out, to get away from him for as long as he could manage. Dorian stills his nerve, telling the king that he guarantees she'll be able to fulfill her duties and they truly don't need to train her. It's foolish to have this competition at all. It's already evident that Dorian hates his father. Uh, yes. He's doing anything he can to get out of the castle to distance himself from him. And honestly, as hard as the trip to Endovia was, because we, we know he was traveling for two months. Yeah. They were traveling around trying to find Selena. I don't know why they didn't know exactly where she was. I don't know either. I don't either. We just know he was traveling for two months. I feel months, like they... I f- two months to find her. I feel like they did know. So I don't know so, where the other... I think he wanted to just be away. He, <laughs> he just wanted to be away. Yeah. So the question is, did Duke Parrington go with them for these two months? Or I'm did sure. he just follow the end at the tent? Right. Or did he just meet them? Mm, good question. In Endovir. Good question. But also, we get to see the sass of Dorian in this moment as well. He's trying he, to bite his tongue for sure, but yes. it's hard. So the king says, if you do not mind your tongue, like I just said... <laughs> So the king says, if you do not mind your tongue, I'll have her use you for practice. And then what, have Holland take the throne? Do not doubt me, Dorian, his father challenged. You might think this girl can win, but you forget that Duke Parrington is sponsoring Kane. You would have been better off picking a champion like him, forged in blood and iron on the battlefield, a true champion. Note the iron mm-hmm. usage in this of how big of a role iron plays as an object in the series. But also, Duke Parrington cheated with Kane. But we'll go more into that when we meet the crazy man. Dorian stuffed his hands in his pockets. Don't you find the title a little ridiculous, given that our champions are no more than criminals? His father rose from his throne and pointed at the map painted on the wall. I am the conqueror of this continent and soon to be ruler of all Aurelia. You will not question me. We are at war with Wendelin. I have enemies all around the world. Who better to do my work than someone utterly grateful for being granted not only a second chance, but also wealth in the power of my name. Dorian mumbles his apologies, realizing how close he was to crossing a boundary between impertinence and rebellion, a boundary that he'd been very, very careful to maintain. Parrington tells me that you behaved yourself well on this trip. With Parrington as a watchdog, I couldn't do otherwise, says Dorian. I'll not have some peasant woman banging on the gate, wailing that you broke her heart. I've toiled too hard and too long to establish my empire. You will not complicate it with illegitimate heirs. 
Marry a proper woman, then dally as you will after you give me a grandson or two. When you are king, you will understand consequences. Dorian blushes but does not drop his father's stare. When I am king, I won't declare control over Terrison through thin claims of inheritance. Kale had warned him to watch his mouth when speaking to his father, but he couldn't stand there when he spoke to him as if he was some pampered idiot. And he's referencing the king's distant relation to Brandon through his ancestor, Elena. And it's absolutely preposterous in the relations so far back that it's laughable that he tried to claim any inheritance over Terrison. But also it's funny that he tried to use Elena as his claim mm-hmm. when they act like nobody remembers that she was part Faye to begin with. Yeah. Like that he has Faye in his blood. Yeah. They're ignoring the part that, hey, y'all have magic in, in your, your bloodline. bloodline. The king replies, even if you offered them self-rule, those rebels would melt your head on a pike before the gates of Orin. Perhaps alongside all of my illegitimate heirs, if I'm so fortunate, Dorian sarcastically retorts. The king gives him a poisonous smile, calling him my silver-tongued son. They watch each other in silence. Perhaps you should consider our difficulty in getting past Windland's naval defenses to be a sign that you should stop playing at being a god. Playing, the king smiled, his crooked teeth glowing yellow in the firelight. I am not playing. This is not a game. Though she may look pleasant, she's still a witch. You are to keep your distance. Understood? I love that uh, they reference her as a witch because we know that Dorian has a preference for witches. witches. (laughs) Specifically, one one specific witch that he claims will be his queen. Um, Sarah, please write our novella already. We miss them. Who? The assassin, Dorian asks. The king tells him that she is dangerous, boy, even if he is sponsoring her. All she wants is her freedom, and she will use him to get it if she has to. If Dorian courts her, the consequences will not be pleasant, not from her and not from me, the king says. And if I condescend to associate with her, what would you do, father? Throw me in the mines as well? His father was suddenly upon him and slapped him across the cheek. The prince staggered but regained his countenance. His face throbbed, stinging so badly he fought to keep his eyes from watering. Son or no son, the king smiled. I am still your king. You will obey me, Dorian Havilliard, or you will pay. I'll have no more of your questioning. With his eyes gleaming with barely controlled anger, the prince leaves, knowing he'd only cause more trouble for himself if he stayed. I think it's interesting he has so much anger in this moment when it's his anger and his emotions that help bring forth his magic later in the books. Yeah. And that is chapter seven. Lots to unpack there. Um, we learned the king is basically trash garbage, which we already knew. And we also learned that we kind of get a hint as his Valg possession because he's saying that he's not playing at being a god. He's hinting that he's extra powerful and that he is a conqueror. Like, this isn't a game for him. He's actually powerful enough to achieve this. We finally arrived in Rifthold mm-hmm. into the Glass Castle and we see that Selena has no love for this city. It's important that Selena's rooms are in the old stone part of the castle. Obviously, that comes to play in a huge way later on throughout the chapters. We meet Philippa. We love her. She takes no crap from Selena, no, no. matter that she's an assassin. We see Dorian being a ladies' man, as usual. Yep. Like Auden said, we met the King of Otterland. He's just as awful as we all predicted. He's verbally and physically abusive. Mm-hmm. 
We know Duke Parrington works closely with him and the king had him spy on Dorian for this trip. And Dorian hates his father. We see it from the very beginning. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on whatever listening platform you are using. And if you enjoyed it, please consider ranking us five stars. You can reach out to us with any questions or concerns at throneofchaospodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at throneofchaospod. We would love to talk to you about anything and everything Sarah J. Mass over there. Thank you so much for listening.